mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zivyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming. Host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic they make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Good Morning America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well.
Also, just a quick note that submissions for the Zibby Awards are open and will close on September 15th. Go to zibbyowens.com and you will find the Zibby Awards open submissions where we celebrate all the under-celebrated parts of a book, like the best spine, the best author's note, the best table of contents. And authors can nominate their own best publicists, best editors, and so on. There will be an in-person award ceremony in October in New York. You will not want to miss it. Go to zibbyowens.com. Jamie Brenner is the author of Guilt. Jamie writes beach reads with a twist, including the national bestseller, The Forever Summer, and her latest, Guilt. People Magazine calls her books a delightful escape wherever you are. Publishers Weekly says of her new novel, Guilt, this beach read sparkles like a diamond. Jamie grew up in suburban Philadelphia on a steady diet of Jackie Collins and Judith Krantz novels. After studying literature at the George Washington University, she moved to New York City to work at HarperCollins Publishers, BarnesandNoble.com, and Vogue.com before becoming an author. Today, she spends her summers visiting the beach downs that inspire her novels. Welcome, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss guilt. Great to be back, Zivi. This is our, we've done, we've spoken a few times now. This is becoming you know, I don't know what I would do without this as part of a book publishing routine. It's I like, swear, I think you've done more books than like anybody else. I mean, it's, I mean, some, <laughs> is this the fourth time? So drawing home summer, lo- no, did you come on for summer long? You came on for blush. What else? I don't, I don't even know. Anyway, it's, it's been a lot and I love it. It, I love it, now it too. feels like officially it feels like book tour now. So thank oh. you for having me back. <laughs> By the way, I should clarify for people listening. This is guilt, not like Jewish mom guilt, but like G-I-L-T, guilt, like guilt. the jewelry that this does take place about. And tell listeners, Jamie, about the plot of this book and did you model this after Tiffany's or Cartier or like, what were you thinking? Tell sure. me the whole story. So guilt is the story of a family like Cartier or Tiffany that made their fortune selling diamond engagement rings. They essentially invented the market of diamond engagement rings. And yet all the daughters in the family, three sisters, are tragically unlucky in love. And when the book begins, one of the daughter's estranged daughter returns to the fold to reclaim what she believes should be her birthright, a... 30 carat pink diamond called the electric rose. And it was this diamond that divided the family in the first place. So that's the premise of guilt. And it's partly based on, you know, the traditional diamond industry as we knew it growing up. Tiffany's, De Beers, a diamond is forever. But what really made me want to write the book is a much more contemporary take on jewelry. And it's a designer named Lulu Frost. And Lulu Frost is a woman named Lisa Salzer, and she collects uh, antiques and tokens and turns them into beautiful charms and jewelry. And I just love the idea of jewelry that has real meaning behind it and history and not just like how big is your diamond ring. Right. So it was the contrast between those two like jewelry values that gave me the story and the tension in the book. So cool. And Gemma, the niece of this family, the niece of, well, I guess the granddaughter, right? But the niece. Yes, of, right. 
technically the granddaughter. So she wins this whole big award at school about her jewelry design. And of course, she's naturally gifted in this new way that you're talking about. Yes. And when the book opens, you have her sneaking into the, what what in my head looked like the T- Tiffany store on 57th Street. Absolutely. Like, right? That's like, yeah, you so got I it. was picturing that. And she's walking in sort of, you know, snuck in as like a pre- undercover press person <laughs> and then raises the question of what happened to this one missing diamond that is not in the collection and everybody's hackles sort of go up and people get excited and the auctioneer, the auction house, you know, follows up with her and wants to know, you know, what is this ring? And of course it cracks open this story. But I feel like right from the beginning, you have literally face to face the old school, like, you know, old school jewelry with new school, like right there. Anyway, so visual. I feel like I just watched the movie. So Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So she, this, this third generation, I mean, technically she's like sixth generation, but for narrative purposes, third generation young woman, you know, she's been estranged from the family, but she has a gift. She's a creative, she's an artist. She wants to be a jewelry designer. She is a jewelry designer, but you know, part of it is a generational thing. You know, who's buying jewelry today? How are we selling jewelry? You know, Instagram is like a whole new, you don't need a store on Fifth Avenue. But what I really wanted to get into was, you know, in my research, I read about how Diamond rings were only a thing starting 80 years ago. They're basically the same. I was shocked to read that. I didn't know that. I was shocked too. Like we've had microwave ovens as long (laughs) as diamond engagement rings have been important in our culture. And it was absolutely a marketing ploy, a brilliant one by De Beers to move lots of these stones that just aren't inherently valuable. I mean, emeralds were the original gem from from antiquity up until like 200 years ago that people really coveted. And even the whole four C's, the color cut clarity made up so that people who couldn't afford big stones could at least say, well, mine is small, but it has great clarity. So I was just like, wow, like probably the most successful marketing campaign in you know modern history. So I wanted to, you know, debunk that a little bit with the story. But, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, our, the, the icon of jewelry was Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. And she just had these outrageous gems, most of which were gifted to her by Richard Burton. But I also know that very large diamonds often come with these alleged curses attached to them. And I never really knew, like, does a curse really exist or is it just the way they make people feel better who can't have jewelry <laughs> like that? I know it totally made me feel better. But uh, <laughs> a book I was reading sort of posed the question, are huge diamonds cursed, like the Hope Diamond or the 195-carat black Orlov diamond? Or is it just that the greed that is required to acquire something of such scale that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that bad things are going to happen? But if you look at stories of people who have owned, for example, the Hope Diamond was Marie Antoinette's original diamond called the French Blue back in the day. Obviously, she had a terrible end, but every subsequent owner had tragedy. So it really got me thinking about, you know, what is valuable? What makes us happy? What's important? What do we spend our time and energy and money on? And these are all things I wanted to explore in in guilt. Wow. Amazing. And how did you come up with the character? I feel like 
Gemma, Gemma or Gemma, right? Gemma, yeah. Gemma. Gemma, Gemma, you know, she kind of like has a chip on her shoulder. She's gotten the short end of the stick in life and, you know, has a lot of mixed feelings about her family and her place in it and love and all of that. Where did she come from? I feel like you're so good at at, at creating char- like younger women character. I mean, not older women too. I mean, you know, maybe I should back. I mean, you're good at all. I mean, but I feel like a lot of your books have this younger woman. Anyway, tell me about coming up with this character. Well, to me, the ultimate, one of the ultimate heroines in a novel or a miniseries, which is how I first saw the story, was the book Lace by Shirley Conran. And Phoebe Cates plays this daughter, a, a young woman who had been placed up for adoption. And she's in her 20s and she summons these very successful women to a hotel. And she says to them, which one of you bitches is my mother? And it was like one of the most famous explosive lines of books from the 1980s. And I love the idea of a woman, a young woman who doesn't have a mother, but is loosely linked somehow to to wealth, fortune and power and what that does to someone psychologically and what in turn they come back seeking. So in this book, Gemma wants that diamond. She thinks that's what she wants. And on a quest to find it, she leaves New York City and goes to Provincetown, Cape Cod. And of course, what she finds along the way is, you know, more important than a diamond. You know, she reconnects with family and she learns about herself and she learns about really what is, what is, why is jewelry so important to us? You know, why is it a universal thing that we long for and that we use to express ourselves? So it was originally the idea of a Lily character who has nothing, but feels like she should have gotten more and comes back for it. It was so funny when I, was when I got to the part about Provincetown, I'm like, of course we're back in Provincetown. I feel like that you and Provincetown are like, you know, you like own own that uh, as a locale or something. That is like your spot. Well, the weird thing is I really wasn't intending on setting it in Provincetown, but I was starting this book in the spring of 2020. And New York was just such a nightmare, as you know. And you know, my husband and I were like, look, where's the one place where we feel like it's like a complete ballast when things are nutty in the world? And of course, Provincetown was the answer. So I moved there for half a year. So of course I had to set the book there. I was living there while I was writing it. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Really crazy. I know we often talk about this, but I am in awe that you can crank out books at this rate and good books, right? These books are well-written and have intricate plots and characters, and they're all really different. I mean, you go from the art world to the makeup world to the diamond industry, all glamorous, right, in, in their own ways. But, you know, whether it's it's uh, this lush winery or, you know, the American Hotel in Sag Harbor with a an old painter sort of like... It, it's not like you're, I mean, not, I mean, not, I, I don't want to disparage any kind of writer, but these books seem as though they would take a very long time to develop and then write, not something like a, that you could just whip off. Let me say it that way. How do you do that? Well, you know, there's a saying and it's like, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm getting it wrong, but it's something like live a boring life so you can be daring in your art. Okay. So it's like, 
I am not running a, a major company and you know I don't have a crazy jet setting life so I have the calm to live in a in a created world and I like I have I have arranged my life so that I have a I have months and months out of the year where that is what I'm concentrating on my daughters are grown you know I could not keep up this pace when I had little you know when I had school age children but you know, it's really, I, I love it. And I love books the way you love books. And I feel really lucky that I've somehow arranged my life around them. You know, there's that saying, be careful what you love because you'll find a way to have it in your life. And I think that's totally true. You know, for better or worse, I am, I'm in this book world. So <laughs> yeah. Wow. But don't you feel like there's so much accompanying stuff with each book launch? I mean, as you were talking about at the beginning, right? You, there's touring and there's marketing and there's Instagram and like, there's just so much associated yeah. with each release. Well, that's the thing. And I, you know, I didn't even realize getting into publishing a book. I mean, I understood the the craft part and the challenge of writing a story, but the way our world and the way publishing has evolved is I think a, more than a lot of people signed up for in a way, because so many writers are really, they're like, they're introverts and introverts doesn't mean shy. It means that we get our energy from calm, quiet books and looking inward. And the world increasingly demands us to be putting out output, output. Like I was saying to someone, I was the English major, you know, I knew I wanted to work in books, but I had no idea I should have been taking graphic design classes <laughs> so I could deal with Canva and Instagram and every, you know, I always said, oh, I'm not a visual person. So what? And now it's coming back to, you know, bite me because I have to rely on other people. Some people have a knack for visual things, but it's been, that's been really hard for me. You know, it could take me an hour to get a post up. And then I think, oh my gosh, I could have spent that time writing or outline or reading something, but there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. And now this is part of it. And uh, that's the way it is. You know, I, I do in some ways, envy writers who are so gifted and literary, like Donna Tart, and she just opts out of all of that. And she doesn't have to do it because, you know, she wins a Pulitzer and then she goes underground for 10 years and then she puts out another masterpiece. But for most people, it's become this hybrid game of social media, promotion, touring. And if you can fit a book in there somehow, <laughs> amazing. It's true. I know. I wonder who would have opted out in prior generations if this was part of the job description, you know, would... Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of people who, I mean, who knows? I mean, I would not have signed up for this, but I wouldn't give it up because of it. And probably that's where most writers fall. Like, it's not their favorite thing to do, but they wouldn't, you know, give up because of it. Right. But I think the writers who enjoy... It's, 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 it's ironic because the writers, I think, who are great at promotion and social media probably often don't do a book as often as writers who don't like that because, right. you know, it's just a question of where you're putting like 80% of your energy. <sighs> it stresses me out just even talking, talking about It's this. a lot. It's a lot. Um, but it's great. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I mean, I feel like you are one of the biggest proponents of other authors. I feel like you're always lifting people up and and heralding their accomplishments and all of this stuff. And you're like a linchpin of this whole New York women authors community, even though you've now recently left the city. But tell me about if that has just come naturally or how you found your people. Well, I grew, I started my career in book publishing, working for publicity for HarperCollins. And and this is why I feel badly for young people starting out today, because I was in an office and I saw, like you said, people lifting each other up. I watched how my boss supported her authors. I watched how other authors did things like invite people on their tour, blurred books. And I saw how important it is to have that reciprocal relationship. And when I was starting out, there were people who were extremely generous to me like Ellen Hildebrand and Adriana Trigiani and Nancy Thayer. And, you know, I will never forget how it felt to get a blurb from someone who you respect. And then luckily New York just has a lot of people pursuing the arts. So it's not hard to find your tribe. And I have to say, and you know this, we just have, writers happen to be, I would say in general, just really generous amazing, interesting people. And I have dabbled in other interest, in other industries and found that is not the case. So, and you have been instrumental because it was very dispersed and we would meet at a party here or there or grab a quick lunch at like Pan Quotidian. But when you started having your salons, I feel like we got a physical nexus, which really took the whole scene to another level. And was one of the things I was most sad about when things shut down for COVID because I felt like we had gotten into this great rhythm. Like there was like a core group and then always new people showing up. And I, I learned about new books at your salons. I met, you know, heroes like Danny Shapiro and having that physical space that was central was amazing. And now we have the virtual space with the podcast, but yeah, I think with social media, we lose a lot of the social because it just begins, it becomes about shouting the loudest. 
And we really need to stay connected with the actual social, which is the connection to our our friends and our readers. And that's why, you know, something like the podcast is so important because it's actually a real conversation, not just, you know, you heart emojiing my <laughs> picture of the book cover, which I appreciate, but you know, <laughs> we need this. I miss in-person events too. Yeah. For those listening who don't know what we're talking about prior to COVID, I used to, when I started my podcast a couple of months later, I started in-person events at my house in New York city. And I would invite all the authors I'd had on and all my friends. And I had book fairs every six months and I'm actually having a book fair. Um, I don't know when this episode is coming out. I'm going to have one in LA at uh, the Palisades Village for my first LA book fair. But anyway, that was really fun. And I got to meet all these new people and it was so interesting for me. And anyway, I've had like one or two since COVID, but I hope to bring that back or find a, a place where people that I don't know well enough to invite into my house can come and enjoy. So that's on my to-do list, FYI. <laughs> Excellent. At some point, at some point. What book are you working on next and where will it take you and us? I'm writing a book about a woman who created a perfume empire and she created a perfume that's as classic as Chanel number no. five. She's in her 50s and um, she always prided herself on not being a commercial sellout. But as the book begins, she's about to meet with a huge pop star to do her first celebrity fragrance. And when she wakes up the morning of the meeting, she realizes she's lost her sense of smell. Oh. And her first instinct is, I'm going to see which of my children can kind of step in until I figure this out, which is, of course, a disaster because none of her three grown children are capable of filling her shoes. And the attempt to get them to do so is what happens over the course of the summer. So I've written, this is the weirdest thing. I've written the whole book, but I couldn't decide where to set it because I wasn't able to travel really last year at all. So I created a fake like placeholder town. And this summer, as I'm going on book tour, I'm going to decide what place I want to sort of shoehorn in and then adjust the book accordingly. It would be neat if you did some sort of like towns would have to campaign to be chosen. <laughs> no, seriously. Someday, someday. It would be cool. It would, it would be. Ask your but the fans. thing is, I, but I couldn't, yeah, I know that would be interesting, but I feel like I'd insult the towns that, because it's so personal, you know, choosing a setting and there are places that I intended to set books and I, I would visit and there's just like nothing, like there was no give, mm. like it could be the most beautiful place, but if there isn't something more than just, you know, a cute main street or a pretty body of water, like there has to be a spirit to the town, like Sag Harbor, you know, the American hotel, yeah. you just feel the history and there's real characters and it, you know, it's, it sets your imagination on fire. And it's like that spark is what you need. And it's impossible to predict even when you go to the most bucolic place, if it's going to be there or not. Interesting. Before I went to business school, I worked at Unilever and helped launch the Vera Wang fragrance. Oh, so, you yeah. know, it's very stressful. I had to go to like the, I can't remember, I see something, I see F or whatever, and like got trained in how to be a nose and smell. Oh, and I wish I'd known that. Oh my yeah. God, I would have I extended, I might still have to call yeah. you to talk about that. Amazing. I went to like the chemistry, they took us to the lab where they mix all the stuff at Unilever and we got to hear from the chemists and all that. And yeah, I did all, uh, it was really interesting. Super, that super is interesting. so cool. And then I had to work on like the 
bottle and all the mechanics of that and the tooling and it was it was the whole thing. What size? One point seven, three point four ounce, eau de parfum. Yes. Like da, da, da. anyway, I learned volumes about that industry, which I have done nothing with up till now. So if you would like any sort of brain dump, okay, good <laughs> to know because this was another year where I couldn't really sit down and meet with people in person. I usually like to do research and like for blush, I went to the vineyard and I met with the winemaker and the vineyard manager. And then with guilt, I couldn't do it. I had these grand plans to sit in the studio and watch this uh, jewelry designer work. Couldn't do that. And then again, for this next book, I had to rely on reading and just research. I couldn't hang out with people. So hopefully the next time I'm writing a book, we'll be back to like the world being fully open to us. Interesting. Amazing. And what are you reading right now? Well, look what I just got in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. So I read an ARC, an advanced reader copy of Bookends, which is your memoir coming out July 1st. But we had created this little sisterhood of the traveling ARC amongst our reader friends. So I read it very quickly. So I didn't want to hog it. So I, I read it really quickly and then I put it in the mail to, I think maybe Susie Orman Schnall or I forget. But we've—I don't know where this arc is now. It could be in Florida, it could be in the Outer Banks. But it's supposed to be back with you on Pub Day. So now that I have the physical book, I can read it again at my leisure. And it's—you know—any book lover, I think the way you frame your story through the eyes of books and books you were reading at the time, or books that you've discovered, I think so much of us, so many of us. Um, subconsciously view life through that lens. And it was so much fun to see the books paired with your experience during all these different phases of your life. And it's just a beautiful love letter to literature and to coming of age. So congratulations, everyone, July 1st. It's called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. And I'm taking it with me to read again this week because I had to rush last time. You do not have to read it again. That was not intended to be a promotional moment for me. I was literally literally, asking you. I literally just got back from traveling around Cape Cod and New York, and this was waiting for me. And, you know, it's so crazy. I The thrill of holding a new book, it just never... As much as I'm jaded about some parts of it now or sick of some parts of it, that just can still in that moment, I feel like a child again, like opening a gift. And I think we all feel that way about books. So there is a, there's just an unparalleled joy. And especially when you read an early copy, you're seeing sort of a rough draft of the book. You know, often there's still typos in it and it's not the real cover. And then when you see the finished product, it's just like, it can t- you know you're, you feel like you're part of the journey of the life of a book. So to feel like the paper they use and to look at it, it's just it's amazing. And I think one of our privileges working with books is that we do get to read things early. We get to see works in progress and the different phases. And by the time a book is in the window of a bookstore, we feel like we're spotting you know like a friend that we've gotten to know already. So I love that. So Aww. thank you. Thank you. That was beautifully said. And I feel the exact same way about books in general and unwrapping them. And I feel the same about your book. I mean, look, it's all like sparkly and it feels so nice. And, you know, it's know, just it's awesome. Hard. It's awesome. Even what size the books are. Anyway, really cool. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much. I will see you back here next year to talk about whatever you call perfume your perfume book. book. Do you have a title? Yes. Do you have a title yet or not? No, not yet. 
you'll be the first to know because I'll probably be calling you and, and picking your brain because I finished this thing. Oh my gosh. I was trying to think of something clever off the cuff, but... uh... There's a lot of puns, not puns, but there's a lot of wordplay with uh, perfume, but surprisingly not that useful. You know, we've, there's a million little plays on words. I was thinking maybe like spray or something and you could do a really cool cover with like it all coming out, you know? Yes. But you can imagine that. Yeah. 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 Anyway. All right. <laughs> Zibi, thank you. And good listen, have fun on your own book tour. Thank Being you. on the other side of all this for a change. Oh my you, gosh. You were the first person to ask me to moderate an event at Barnes and Noble. I was like over the moon excited. I brought everyone in my family to come see us. <laughs> and I was so nervous. And that was now what, like four years ago or something crazy. Yeah. Three years ago. So anyway, thank you for sort I of taking a chance off on my me. chair when I saw that in, in your memoir, when you spoke about that night. It's so funny, Zibi, you know what also? The one thing, it's funny how memories are different. All I can remember is how the air conditioning was out that night at the Barnes & Noble. Remember that? And yes. we had to move everything. <laughs> yes, you were very upset about that. And I was just anyway. like, whatever, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever. <laughs> Zibi, anyway. thank you. Thank Have you. Have a great summer and happy yeah. summer reading, everyone. Thank you. Bye, Jamie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 